Good morning to you. Welcome. Oh, that was a little better than nine. Not a lot, but it was a little better. Good morning. Um, I told Javier, the percussion guy, that when I get to heaven, I'm going to play percussion like that. I just think, is that just not the coolest thing? I just think that's cool. And I just rejoice at all the worship stuff. I appreciate you all. So how are your relationships? How are they? How, how, how are the, uh, the people in your life that you really are close to? Where do you go when you need to talk? When you need to process? When you need someone to empathize with you? You need just someone to listen. I began here at Summit uh, six years ago. I did a six-month stint uh, where every weekend I spoke, except for two weekends, six months straight, five times a weekend, and it was a little daunting, a little, little stressful, uh, but I had a um, uh, need to process that with someone who could just be outside the situation, someone that I could just sort of work through uh, the struggles I was going through, the challenges I was going through, and I had a friend in Tennessee called Jeff, and Jeff was my guy, and, and every Tuesday evening at a point in time, I'd sit on the little balcony of the place where we lived, and, and uh, I would talk to my buddy Jeff. And Jeff would listen, Jeff would challenge, Jeff would, would um, problem solve with me. He would just do all sorts of things. It, it, it was a ministry to me. I find that true friendships many times are hard to come by. Even though we live in a connected society, even though we have, um, we're just bombarded with information from people, that information a lot of times doesn't tend to go very deep. I can't tell you the number of people that I talk to. I ask, Hi, how are your, what, what, what kind of friendship base do you have? And they'll say, eh, not, not that many, if any at all. How are your relationships? Remember when I was uh, living in Massachusetts, we lived in a house where uh, it was 50 years old when we moved in and uh, it needed some upgrading. The kitchen needed upgrading. My, my friend who was very good with... Uh, uh, that was kind of tasks. He said, Jim, we need to redo your kitchen. I, he used the plural pronoun, we. That was a mistake. Um, I am not good in any kind of repair at all. But he was. I trusted in him. Uh, he showed up one afternoon. We started to dismantle. That's what you do when you do repairs. And we, we had to take stuff apart. Um, my house was old enough where we didn't even have copper piping. We had brass piping for the plumbing and uh, little threads that you would thread in, and, and we had to undo some of that in order to put the new stuff in, and um, as we undid it, had to turn the water off of the whole house, and it just disintegrated in our hands. This pipe was so old, we'd, we'd, we'd start to dismantle it, and, and we, it just became obvious that we weren't gonna be able to do anything to reconnect it that evening. So 10.30 at night, we're without water in our house, three days we're all gonna be dead, you know, from no water to drink. <laughs> I was just absolutely flummoxed and, and in despair. And I remember sitting at the top of my basement steps. You know, I called my dad, who was in Florida. I'm in Massachusetts. He's in Florida. And I'm, you know, I, not too proud to tell you I had tears. And I said, Dad, we're going to, you know, this is the deal. And I remember my dad saying, it's going to be okay. Couldn't help it, but I knew he understood. I knew that somehow my dad was going to, either pray his way through it or, or, or come up and save me. I, you know, I didn't know. We, we figured it out. Those relationships are important. We're in a series, as O.J. said, on, on the Old Testament prophets. And this is, this is the work of, of, of men who uh, were ministering to a people who had broken relationships. 
And their primary broken relationship was their relationship with God. And Malachi is uh, the last in the chronological order of, of these uh, prophets. Uh, Malachi talks about relationships, primarily our relationship with God. Malachi takes place um, right around um, 440 B.C. Just to give you a timeline of, of the prophets that we've showed you week after week. See, all the, all the, uh, the, the minor prophets are minor, not because they're less than the major, but because they're shorter in, in, in their prophetic works. But you see all, all the northern kingdom prophets and the southern kingdom prophets, northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes of Israel, captured by the Assyrians in the 700s, taken away and really never to return. Southern kingdoms uh, of uh, Benjamin and Judah, those tribes, captured and, uh, and then brought back later on. So uh, around 600 BC, Babylonians come in, take the southern kingdom, and you'll see the timeline here at the bottom where you see the, uh, the, uh, the Babylon exile around 587 to 539. But the Persians then overran the Babylonians. The Persian king said, hey, let's return some of these people to their native land, and, and Israel was involved, and uh, they began to come back to Jerusalem. Around 536, uh, 538 BC, and then 536 to 518 BC, those several years, they rebuilt the temple, a place of their worship, and they began to, to, to reconstitute and, and uh, revive their relationship with God. Around 445 BC, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king of, of Persia, and he asks the king if he can go back and, and help uh, rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And he does, they go back, and uh, the story there is, is, of course, chronicle Nehemiah. Nehemiah, at the end of that time, after they've completed this wall and had this marvelous victory, uh, he has the people gather, and, and the priests read the Old Testament law, and the people, in mass, they repent, as well as separate, uh, celebrate what God's done. And, and there's a spiritual renewal that takes place right around this 445 B.C. date. Malachi comes in here just 15, 20 years later. And already, even after this great victory, the, the people have, have come back. Their, their, their lives are now normalized. They, they get back to, to, to just living uh, the way they lived before. They begin to forget. And what do they forget? They forget who brought them back. And they, they, they forget uh, to prioritize their relationship with God. So Malachi speaks out to the barriers that have arisen between the Jewish people and their God. Malachi is a challenging book. I, and and um, you read Malachi, there's no words minced. I mean, it is powerful, it's hard-hitting, and it sort of is, it goes right to the point. So the question that, that arises in me as I read this book is, hey, how important is my relationship with God anyway? How important is yours? I was talking with someone recently, and, and um, I've asked them how, how his spiritual life was going. He said, yeah, it's, it's, no, it's not what I need it to be. And he said, I've had a hard time finding time to, to uh, spend time in scripture and prayer. It's just, it, you know, my busy life gets, gets crowded out. And I, I can understand. It's the same struggles with myself as well. And then later on in the conversation, he's talking. I said, well, tell me about your schedule. And he said, yeah, every morning... Uh, five days a week, I get up at 4.30 and I go to the gym and work out for an hour, which is 
doesn't sound fun. Does that sound fun to you? It doesn't sound fun to me. But I was amazed. Wow, that takes some discipline. And then I thought to myself, it's interesting how you can do that for your physical body, but you don't find time to do, I didn't say this to him, <laughs> how you don't find time to do it in your spiritual life. Isn't that interesting? So Malachi is a 21st century call as well. It's not just to the people then. It's, it's to us today. That's what we're finding in these minor prophets. It's pretty encouraging, actually. As God speaks down through the millennia to us today through his spirit. It's a call for us to take our faith seriously. And even if you don't necessarily have a strong faith, the principles in this book are ones that I think you can grab onto and, and, and really benefit uh, from applying to your life. So I'm going to read three passages, three uh, parts of this book that I want us to focus on, where, where Malachi hits, hits hard and, and, and clearly declares what God wants. The first one, and I have two of these passages in your bulletin, one I didn't have room for. I'll read that at the end. First one is Malachi chapter 1. If you have your Bibles open to 1 verse 6, or you can follow on your bulletins. It's listed there. God is speaking. He says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where's the honor due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. First problem that these people had is, is they had um, lost their purity of worship. It was blemished. How is it blemished? Well, Malachi says that the, the, the many people were bringing their sacrifices to the temple on their, on their days of, of, of uh, worship, and they were bringing defective sacrifices. The Old Testament law is very clear. You know, for example, on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, you're to bring a, a, uh, an animal, a sheep, for, uh, for example, from your flock that was completely without blemish. It was pure, no, no, no fault in any way. They're perfect in every way. They needed to be perfect, of course, because the whole point of, of the Old Testament law is to point to the coming of Christ. And, and the purity of that sacrifice then was substituted for our own impurity, of course, culminated in the sacrifice Christ made for us once for all. It was pure because we are not pure. Say, well, we don't do that anymore, do we? We don't bring animals to be sacrificed. Of course we don't. But the theme there is the purity of worship. How's the purity of your worship? What's your focus? How do you come to church today? you come out of habit? Do you come because you're coerced? come begrudgingly? Do you come dutifully? What does God expect? And what should we expect of ourselves? It's interesting to me, you know, when I 
you know, I always have to show up when I speak. You would expect that, wouldn't you? But, uh, you know, when I, when I come as a congregant, especially when I wake up on Sunday, some of the most difficult struggles I have in terms of deciding what to do are on Sunday morning going to church. I don't, do you experience that? Sometimes I have a little sniffle and I'll go, you know, I have a little sniffle today. I'll tell my wife, looking for sympathy and uh, understanding. If I say, yeah, yeah, I just don't feel like I want to maybe go today, you know, infect people, things like that. Interesting to me that I could have sniffles, I could have a full-blown cold, I could have a sprained ankle, but if you want to play tennis, I'll be there. I'll hobble on the court, I'll hack my way through it, but I'm playing tennis no matter what. Church? Ah. I enjoy this church. I enjoy worshiping at this church. I always have. I, I enjoy worship here, what we just experienced. I enjoy because it's contemplative. It's not showy. It's done with excellence. It's done from the heart. Every worship service, you know, we're asked, those of us who speak, to present what we're going to say so, so the, the whole flow of worship can go around the themes of what we're going to talk about on that day. I really enjoy that. It's thoughtful. I think it's a good template for me and my worship and maybe for you too. I want to be thoughtful when I come. I want to focus on the majesty of God. I, I, I don't want it to be showy. I want it to be heart-centered. I want to put energy into it. I want to put time into it. Not as an afterthought or rushed in any way. Let's worship from the heart. Some of the biggest battles I hear that people go through on Sunday mornings, struggles, just getting to church. I remember when our kids were young, my wife would get up, she'd, she'd get ready, she'd do the bulk of getting the kids ready. I got myself ready, I did that in, in you know, pretty, pretty quick time. And, and I would help by sitting in the parking lot and tapping on the horn if they weren't in the car ready to go. I thought that was, that was helpful, right? Oh, that caused problems. How's your purity of worship? I grew up in a home where I, we went to church and um, the church we attended, we had every Sunday, there was a nine o'clock service called Breaking of the Bread where we had, we had communion. And not, not many people showed up for that. There was probably out of a church of probably two, 300, maybe about 25, 30 people would show up for that. It was just this small, intimate little setting where we would sing hymns without accompanying it. We, accompany it, we would um, read scripture, and then at the end of that time, after people would share, we'd pass the elements and, and have communion. And uh, it, was a, it was a time that was pretty contemplative and pretty focused on, on what we were doing. The, the, the Sundays, we didn't go every Sunday to that service, but we did from time to time. And those Sundays that we did, my mom would instruct us, me and my two younger brothers, we're going to, to Breaking of the Bread today, and Dad doesn't want any trouble today. Doesn't want any trouble from you guys. And we didn't give him any trouble. Because my, my dad wanted to focus on getting his heart ready for the worship he was going to be experiencing. Malachi. He's preaching to these people and he's saying, look, didn't don't you remember 15 years ago you had this big revival, you had this really great commitment, you were going to do it and do it right, and now you've lost focus. You're just, you're giving, you're giving to God on the backstroke. Don't do it. 
Don't be blemished in your worship. So the modern day message of Malachi is that we bring a pure heart and attentive mind when we stand in the presence of God Almighty. Another passage that I have listed for in your bulletin is Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12. Let me read that for you. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from the, my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? God responds, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. The people of Israel during this time have lost the focus in terms of their generosity of giving. They were withholding tithes. Tithe is the Hebrew word literally for a tenth. And the Old Testament law says you, you, you take whatever you receive, you take a tenth of that, you give that back to the Lord. Now, this isn't a message on giving or, or to inspire you to give more. This is just a focus, a message about how we give. What's, what's your heart? What are your priorities? What is it that you believe about giving? And how do you give? How much? With what attitude? How often? For what purpose? Garrison Keillor uh, was the originator of, of a program on PBS called... Uh, Prairie Home Companion, Lake Wobegon days. Uh, he was uh, uh, very gifted, and, and um, they had music that was folk music and, and really funny skits. He wrote a book, Lake Wobegon days, talking about you know growing up in in, in uh, rural Minnesota. Uh, Gar Garrison Keillor wrote a uh, an autobiography, and he shares how he grew up in a home that uh, was very religious, very quite strict. And uh, he chafed under that strictness. And, and uh, as he grew uh, through adolescence and into his adult years, he, he became very bitter and, and more or less renounced his faith. And in this book, he tells of the story of his parents uh, after their fall harvest going to church. It was a mission Sunday, and, and people would come forward uh, during that Sunday and, and give their offerings to, to world missions. And he he does not speak very highly of that. He just goes, uh, you know, I, I, I don't understand it. He was really quite negative about it. If you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with him, you won't understand the joy of what it means to give. Because he's very clear about the fact that his, his parents were quite joyful in that process. Not so much him. This is the only place in scripture where God utters these words, test me in this. Other scripture says you, you don't want to test God. This is, God's not, not one that you want to put the test to, but God comes to us and says, hey, test me in this. Test me. This is not you give to get. This is not some, 
hey, you know, give me this and God will give you back this, this, but that's not the motivation at all. But God does say, look, you need to have my perspective on your wealth. You need to understand that by giving, you are demonstrating the fact that this is not yours. You are just a steward of what I've gifted you. Jesus said it beautifully. He says, you can't serve God and money. You can't do it. My daughter and son-in-law moved to Chicago from Orlando about six years ago. They ripped our grandparent, grandchildren out of our arms and, and moved. It's just we still are suffering every day from that. It was just awful. I can't stand that she did that, but that's another story. And they moved, they moved to Chicago because um, my son-in-law was, was having a little bit of a tough time in terms of his employment. Uh, he had a business that didn't work quite the way he wanted it to. They had to just sort of say, okay, what's the, what's the next chapter? He found a really good job in Chicago, moved away. And uh, they arrived, and they still had some financial challenges. They had some things that were really, really pretty pretty serious in terms of their, their budget and things of that nature. I remember going up, visiting them. They, they lived in an apartment in Evanston at the time and went into the kitchen to get myself something. And I saw above the kitchen sink on, on, uh, on the cabinet uh, door there was a piece of notebook paper just taped up there. And um, on it was this verse where God promised to open open his, his treasury to those who, who are willing to give. And uh, I remember those, those words, test me in this, were there. And my daughter put it up there and she said, you know, Dad, we're, we're going through a tough time, but I never want to forget the fact that we're just stewards and, and everything we have, that first tenth belongs to God and we want to be faithful in that. And I've watched as my son-in-law and my daughter have followed that and seen God bless them test me in this. You hold on to your money today? These people were now comfortable. And in their comfort, they forgot the very one who gave them that gift. Third thing. Their worship was blemished. They were withholding tithes. And they've lost the whole focus on their, their marriages. Malachi chapter 2 Starting with verse 13. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in, a, in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. In verse 16, the man that the NIV translates the man who hates and divorces his wife. Almost all other translations, it's a much more uh, simple phrase in the Hebrew, just states this God hates divorce. Probably the, the most sensitive subject Malachi addressed was the topic of marriage. 
maybe the most sensitive topic for us as well. Um, Israelites were very cavalier about their marriages, uh, especially the, the men. Most egregious offenders were the men. They were the ones who were, by law, given the right, if they did not want to be married to their wives anymore, were required to give them a certificate of divorce so the wife could prove, once she was released from that marriage, that she could go and marry another and, and be protected in that way. Uh, that was the main protection for women in that culture. But he did that, Jesus said, because of the hardness of their hearts. How we treat others, Malachi is saying, in communicating what God has to say, how we treat others is direct correlation to how we relate to God. I understand this is a sensitive topic. I, I know all of us in some way, shape, or form have been affected by that, either directly or indirectly. Some of us have gone through our own divorces. I come from a family where my mom was divorced before she met my dad. I, I, I was raised in a blended family. Had challenges. It's hard. So this isn't a guilt and regret kind of comment. This is, this is a, a renewing of what our priorities uh, should be, a refreshing of what those priorities should be. Scripturally, Jesus allows for divorce in lieu of adultery. The Apostle Paul expands that. He says if there's a desertion by an unbelieving spouse, you're, you're free to divorce and remarry. And that opens the door for other egregious situations that, that people go through, abuse, uh, abuse of children, uh, things of that nature. But this, hey, this isn't working out for me concept that our culture has is what Malachi is addressing. This cavalier attitude toward, yeah, if this doesn't work out, I'll just put in that and then on I go. It's confronted very, very clearly by Malachi. Talking recently with a friend who's going through a very difficult marriage. Uh, he's going round and round about the problems he has and, and uh, the... Uh, situation that he and his wife are in and, and how they're just missing on so many areas and, and they're just not able to, to come together. And, and uh, we've been processing over several weeks and months. And last time I saw him, uh, he said, hey, I got this communication from the wife of a dear friend of mine, both Christians. And uh, as he explained the things that he was going through, his struggles, uh, his friend then shared that with his wife and, and um he shared with me the response that this friend's wife had to him, and, and uh, I asked for permission. He said I could use this. I, I think uh, she says it better than I could ever say it. Here's, here's how she, re she responded to his situation. She writes, how easy to use comfort over calling and to doubt self-sacrifice in light of the fun people have serving their own appetites. You are asking questions you already know the answer to but you're desperately wanting a different answer. However, if you get the different answer, the divorce, you're not realistically looking at the ramifications of how that will fully play out for you and for your children. It will still be a trial and still be hard and it won't magically be 100% better. My prayer for you is that you won't give up on the marriage and will give up or surrender to God and ask him what you're to learn in this process and where it is that you have failed I still just keep thinking about where I finally was when I got pregnant. It took three years to submit fully to God, to lay it all down and surrender the outcome to him, to let go of how I wanted it to look, and to be willing to be humbled and transformed by him and changed to be more like him. 
I think then and only then God changed my circumstances. As long as the focus is on your spouse, I thought this was brilliant, what she's not doing right, then, quote, we can fully blame her for the broken marriage because we're only waiting on her to change. She holds the keys and we're all at her mercy. But if the focus shifts to God and my standing before him, whether I have any faults, I need to confess, the situation changes. I'm not at her mercy of whether she changes or not. I'm in the hands of the living God who knows me inside and out and knows my motives even when I'm unaware of them. Above all, the heart is deceitful. Only after I admit my failings am I in a state of humility where God can transform me and my life. Changing your focus from your spouse to your sanctification in Christ is very empowering. Now you have something you can work on and change. You can pursue Christ and draw closer to Him and be transformed by Him regardless of what your spouse is doing. Then she quotes Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way that's everlasting. And she concludes, praying you won't give up until you get the benefit of the trial slash transformation. Blemished worship, withholding tithes, broken relationships. Malachi's words down through the centuries and the millennia come to us today. This is what we're called to do strongly, but in an encouraging way as well. Malachi is a relational book, and he is calling them and us back to a more authentic, a more focused relationship on God. And seeing that relationship being lived out and how we treat others and how we treat what God has gifted us with as well. I learned from my parents. My parents were married 49 years before my dad died. I learned the sanctity of worship. I learned that there was joy in giving. Remember when I was in college, my parents gleefully hit, I just shook my head at the time, they gleefully hit the 20% mark in giving. They thought that was just really cool. And I also learned what a committed marriage was because I had two parents who were ultimately committed not to their own pleasure and their own desires, but to pleasing God. Test me in this, the Lord says. So as you reflect on the words of Malachi, reflect on your own life and the next steps that God is asking you and me, as I reflect too, what I need to take to become closer to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to hear from you, your word. Thank you for this prophet. Thank you for speaking clearly to him. I pray that wherever we are, whatever our situation is, married or not, a believer or not, that somehow that we would understand that you have called us into a deeper walk with you and that that walk will affect everything. I pray that you would bless us as you've asked us to pray uh, when we follow you. Thank you that you will open the gates of your pleasure as we come before you with humility and obedience. 
And I thank you for our time together. And I thank you for the one who calls us into relationship with you, your son who gave his life for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.